If you are at South Lake campus, West Fort Worth campus, North Richland Hills campus or online and listening to me right now, I want to thank you for joining us for this last message in a short series on generosity. Jesus was always saying things that seemed upside down. The way to be most alive is to die. The way to be greatest is to be least. And perhaps the most counterintuitive thing he ever said is recorded in Acts 20. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That there is always a connection between generosity and blessing. We witnessed that this weekend. We had an amazing men's conference. And over 2,000 guys were here. And they received a great blessing, but it was only possible because of generosity. Because a lot of guys came early and started cooking meat. And a lot of people served and people set up and people tore down and people cleaned up. And over 100 women in our church volunteered their weekend to serve. And I heard of stories of people that walked up to elders and ministers and just said, here's a check to pay for someone to go to the men's conference. It's on me. And the reason that blessing was received was because of an abundance of generosity. There's always that connection. And so I've got a lot of feedback from this series. I got an email last week I appreciated, and a brother wrote, you're the only preacher I know who encourages me to be generous without apologizing. And I hope my conviction has come through, but that would not always have been true of me. There was a season in my life where I was very reluctant to speak about generosity. I preached at a church in Abilene, Texas for about 10 years before I came here. And only one time in over 10 years did my leaders tell me to preach on something, and it was on the subject of giving, because I would never do it. And the reason I would not do it is because I was fearful that people would think I had some kind of selfish agenda for talking about giving. You've heard the story, perhaps, of the two men stranded on a desert island. And the first guy is going nuts. We're going to die. We're going to die. We got no food. We got no water. We're going to die. The second guy just leans casually against a palm tree. And the first guy says, aren't you panicked? We got no food. We got no water. We're going to die. Second guy said, we're not going to die. I make $500,000 a week. And the first guy says, who cares how much money you make? We got no food and we got no water. You don't understand. And the second guy says, no, you don't understand. I make $500,000 a week, and I tithe. My pastor will find me. So <laughs> the reason that joke works in and outside of church is because there is a perception out there that evangelists only care about getting your money. And so for a long time, I would not talk with conviction about generosity. And if I did, I would apologize. I don't do that anymore, and here's why. I read the Gospels. I read the words of Jesus, who knows more about making disciples than anyone who has ever lived, and he was constantly talking about money. And I realized I cannot make disciples if I don't talk about what we're going to do with the money that we make. And so you hear us say a lot around here, what's your next step? And we've identified seven steps of discipleship. They're not laws. They're not commands as much as there's just disciplines that we've noticed in Jesus that we think are critical to following Him, like worshiping regularly and, and serving others. And one of those steps we encourage you to take is to give generously. And so I'm going to talk a lot about generosity because you need to hear it. 
<laughs> but I'm also going to talk about generosity because I need to live it. I need to walk my talk. And so by far the favorite feedback I've gotten from this series was a drawing from Audrey Herman, who's a middle schooler. She wrote this down during the first sermon when I was talking about how God owns everything. And she's got a picture of me giving Jesus my golf clubs. She totally went to meddling. And it was good for me. And I'm going to save that picture. Because here's the reality. I used to worry about if I spoke on generosity, you would think I was self-serving. Well, now I'm going to confess. I talk about generosity because I am self-serving in this sense. Generosity is good for me. And it's good for you. We saw two weeks ago that generosity blesses God. And last week it blesses others. But what I want to unpack and close a series on is helping you realize generosity is good for you. That's actually been proven in secular research. Stony Brook School of Medicine in 2015 published a study that said that generosity reduces blood pressure as much as medicine or exercise. The New Republic uh, magazine in their science section recently published a study that said generosity improves emotional health. It's because of the way we are wired. Our neuroscience is such that when we are generous, chemicals like endorphins and dopamine and oxytocin are released, and we literally feel better. And then U.S. News published a study of 2,000 people in Marin, California recently. And here's what they found. The people who volunteer and are generous with their time to serve others have a 63% lower Mortality rate. And then the University of Louisville published a study where they examined the medicine, excuse me, the money that we hold in our hands. And here's what they found. 13% of our coins and 43% of our paper money contain disease-producing organisms. Get rid of it. I should have called this series, Be Generous, or you will die. But the main reason I should pour instead of store is that it gives me something to live for. You see, generosity is important because purpose is not purchase. There's only three really big questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? And here's how the dominant secular worldview of the West answers those questions. Well, you're a cosmic accident. You shouldn't even be here. You're going to return to nothingness. And in between, just try to have fun. Build a barn. And I'm going to tell you something. That's not going to work when you find out you got cancer. When you're in sleep at night and you wake up and you wonder, why should I even get out of bed tomorrow? You've got to have a bigger reason to live than just who can have the biggest barn. I've known too many people with a full purse and empty purpose. Few people had more money than Solomon. And here's what he wrote. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Jesus is constantly saying that the quality of your life has nothing to do with the quantity of your stuff. 
that money can only add meaning to my life when it is not the meaning of my life. If I was holding the mic right now, I would drop it. That was good. Money can only add meaning to your life when it is not the meaning of your life. The meaning of my life is to know Christ and to make Him known. And money is simply a means to help me pursue my purpose. Generosity helps me mean to do what I was made for. It's good for me. Because first, it guards my heart. You see, we will give our first allegiance to whatever or whoever we think can bless us the most. And that's worth pondering. I don't care how much you go to church or how many Bibles you have on a shelf at home. You are giving your best to whoever or whatever you think really can bless your life the most. And that's why Jesus talks so much about money. Because there's nothing that can mimic God like money can. Jesus didn't say you cannot serve God and the devil. We don't wake up in the morning having that battle. But money has an amazing capacity to mimic God. To promise things only God can ultimately give, like significance and security and identity. And so generosity is the way we push back against the lies of the culture that are recruiting our hearts every day. Some of you grew up on farms or you know about ranches and you've seen stock tanks or ponds and they'll build a spillway. And if that spillway gets blocked, that water will become stagnant and polluted and contaminated because it's a rule of nature. If what flows in doesn't flow out, then what gets stuck gets impure. And what's true of a tank is true of your heart. And that's why Jesus said, you guard against every kind of greed. Life's not measured by how much you own. Now, you should be wise with your money, but you realize you can't always protect your assets. They could do something in Japan tomorrow that's going to mess up the market in the U.S. on Tuesday, and by Wednesday, you're worth half what you are today. You cannot always protect your assets, but you can always protect your heart. And when I surrender treasure to the kingdom of God, then the kingdom of God begins to capture my heart. It's good for me to be generous because it also grows my faith when you read the gospels you will not find a single time that Jesus ever said to anybody all you need is more money if you just had more money all your problems would go away now it is true Jesus told us to be generous to those in need but Jesus never said to anybody all you need is more money he said to a lot of people what you need is more confidence in God like in Matthew 6, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He'll give you everything you need. Remember two weeks ago? Trust is God's love language. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, when I was a baby preacher, I misunderstood that verse. I wrote a sermon one time on how we all need to be like children because children are thoughtful and children are kind and children share. And after I was through, a deacon came up to me and said, just wait till you have some kids. (laughs) Totally misunderstood that verse. Here's what is true. There's many things about children we hope they outgrow, but here's what we wish they never outgrew. Their absolute confidence that their father's going to deliver. You have never come up behind some toddlers in a sandbox talking about their 401k. When my kids were little, there were times when it would be hard for me to get them to go to bed. But not one time did one of my kids say, Daddy, I can't go to sleep because I'm so worried about what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to drink and what I'm going to wear tomorrow. They knew their dad would take care of them. Trust is God's love language. And you cannot enter the kingdom without it. Now, it's true. That when I grow in my faith, I'm going to increase my giving. But here's also also true. When I grow in my giving, I'm going to increase my faith. Because the more I trust God, the more God proves himself to be trustworthy. And the more I'm able to trust him again. I want you to understand something, folks. This really matters to God. That's why nobody in Scripture is ever discouraged from being generous. Nobody in Scripture is ever told, well, get your stuff together, and after your finances are in order, start being generous. Paul's collecting money for saints in Jerusalem, and he goes to a region called Macedonia. And here's what he writes to the Corinthians about them. He says, they're being tested by many troubles They're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. And Paul didn't think of saying, oh, wait, you don't have much. You should wait till you get more, and then you can start being generous. When Jesus is at the temple, he's watching people put money in the collection, and this widow comes up, and all she's got left is two coins, and she gives it. Jesus doesn't stop her and say, wait, you can't afford. Instead, Jesus points to her and says, that's kingdom life right there. This really matters to God. Because what is important is that we be rich in faith. And remember, what gets poured gets stored. So generosity is good for me, guarding my heart, growing my faith, and increasing my reward. So I heard of a man who knew he had a terminal illness. He went to the bank, got all his cash, and turned it into gold and put it in the attic. His wife said, what are you doing? He said, well, they say you can't take it with you, but I I will. On my way up, I'm grabbing my money. So he died. And a week later, she's up in the attic, and there's all that gold. And she thought, I knew we should have put it in the basement. Now, the moral (laughs) is that you can't take it with you. But Jesus says you can send it on ahead. And he's frequently counseling disciples to build an eternal portfolio. 
Like in Matthew 6, don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. We're going to talk more about heaven later this year. And one thing we're going to learn is that heaven is a place of rewards. Jesus is bullish on the kingdom of God and says invest in it. In fact, Matthew 19, I assure you that when the world is made new, and it will be, and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, and He will, everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. That is not prosperity gospel. That is Jesus saying, when I set up my kingdom and my glory fills the earth, I'm going to notice and reward the people that were faithful and trusted me. Why would I want to spend my life and make my life's purpose, seeing how much stuff I can accumulate that's just going to burn. You'll never find purpose that lasts trying holding on to stuff that won't. Generosity is a good investment. And by the way, the dividends are not just for the future. Because maybe the neatest thing about generosity is that It secures my joy. You notice Paul said to those Macedonians, they are filled with abundant joy. God has given me the honor and privilege of preaching on several continents and being in the homes of fellow followers of Jesus, many of whom live in abject poverty. I have shared meals in hovels in houses that were literally built with cardboard. And I have discerned no connection between the abundance of joy and the abundance of stuff. Because I've been the most joyful followers of Jesus I've ever met have nothing. Now there's kind of a joy that stuff brings you And it can't last because stuff always ends. And then there's a kingdom kind of joy that will last because it's based in the unending and unfailing grace of God. And people who have been filled with, obsessed with grace, they give cheerfully. And they give generously because they realize how much they've been given. You can't stop them from giving because generosity gives them so much joy. So again, of those same Macedonians, Paul says, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. There's always something wrong when, cheer, when giving is not cheerful. You shouldn't give till it hurts. You should give till it feels good. If your giving isn't cheerful, I just have to be honest, there's something about the gospel you're still missing. This is not a money issue. This is a grace 
issue. So right in the middle of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, these two chapters, all about giving, Paul drops in this line. And in one sentence, he gives perhaps the most succinct understanding of the gospel in the New Testament. Here's what he says. You know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. So that by his poverty... He could make you rich. This is not a money issue. This is a grace issue. And so it's interesting to me that a few verses later, Paul says, So see to it that you excel in the grace of giving. He did not say excel in the duty of giving. He did not even say excel in the ministry of giving. But he said excel. In the grace of giving. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And here's the great question we have to wrestle with every day in a culture that says the opposite. Does Jesus really know what he's talking about? If I followed the wisdom of Jesus, would I in fact be a fool? I want to tell you two stories. The first I heard from my friend Dudley Rutherford. He's a pastor in California. And he went to a Dodger game with another pastor friend. And sitting next to his friend was a 12-year-old boy with a glove. But Dudley soon discerned that boy was completely blind. He said it was one of the strongest pictures of faith I've ever seen. Here's a boy who's blind with a glove to catch a foul ball. And after every play, his mother would lean over and explain, that was a hit to right field. That was a strikeout. They just had a double play. And in the fifth inning, there was a foul ball, and it came right at them. Of course, the little boy couldn't see it. It went right over his head. He could have easily caught it. It fell on the ground behind them, and four guys jumped down onto the concrete surface to fight for that ball rolled right through their legs and down the aisle and a lady sitting there just leaned over from her chair and picked it up. And Dudley got to thinking. That should have been that boy's ball. And so he was going to walk down and ask the lady, would you give the boy the ball? But his friend said, I'll do it. You go get us some Cokes. Dudley pulled out a $20 bill and said, if she won't give it to you, let's buy it. He went and got the refreshments. He came back. His friend was frowning. Where's the ball? I don't have it. I asked her if she would give the boy the ball, and she said no. So I gave her your 20 and my 20 and said, $40, can we just buy the ball? And she said yes, and then her boyfriend grabbed her arm and said, you're not giving away that ball. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get a foul ball at a Dodger game. You're not giving away that ball. Think about that. A ball that you're going to take home and sit on a shelf and completely forget about. That you're going to lose the next time you move or your kids are just going to throw away when they clean all the junk out of your house after you die. You had a once in a lifetime opportunity that you could tell for the rest of your life and bring you joy that you had a chance to give a foul ball to a blind boy. And instead, you were a fool. 
Next story. This happened last fall. Owen Williams, three years ago, moved into a new neighborhood. And they met their neighbor, Ken Watson, an older man. Two years ago, they had a baby, Katie. And since they had no family in the area, Ken became Katie's grandfather figure. And they developed a strong attachment. Last year, Ken found out he had a terminal disease. He died in October. The next week, his daughter came by Owen's house with a sack. And inside were 14 wrapped Christmas presents for Katie. One for every year until she turned 16 to remember her grandpa. Which story grabbed your heart? Which story do you want the people to tell about you someday? See, here's what I've learned. We don't have any emotional spending stories. I've been to a lot of funerals, and I've not one time heard someone say, well, let me tell you about the deceased. He wanted this car And he saved and saved, and he got it, and it's nice. And look at what an expensive suit he's being buried in. And you ought to go see his barn. But I've been to a lot of funerals where we talk about money and how the person gave it away. Because at a funeral, we somehow intuitively Remember that life is a bigger matter than how much matter we accumulate. And that's why generosity is genius. Because stories make me richer than stuff. And if God grants you the grace to live long enough to come to my funeral, I hope you hear stories. That I was a faithful steward of any wisdom God gave me, any influence God gave me, any wealth God gave me to know Christ and make him known. And I'm saying to you, friend, life is short. Make some good stories. Jesus knew what he was talking about. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. When you get up tomorrow, don't live for a purchase. Live for a purpose. When you get up tomorrow, be a genius. Let me pray over you. So God, I just have one request today. Help us grow in grace. Help us go deeper in our grasp of grace, our reception of grace, our willingness to let grace be the empowering of our lives. Help us, God, just grow in grace so that we can give what we have received from Jesus. And in his name I pray, amen.